Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different grape varieties, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we conclude our focus on South America by looking at Uruguay and Brazil, of which by far the more interesting is Uruguay, although it is much, much smaller than Brazil. Uruguay has an interesting history. It lies between Brazil and Argentina, and that's the reason why the country was created, to act as a buffer between the two powers. Brazil, of course, was Portuguese, and Argentina was Spanish, and the two countries fought over Uruguay, and it belonged to the two powers at different points. And the reason for that is that Uruguay's major city is Montevideo, and that was the port for the area. Buenos Aires, a much bigger city, and much more economically and politically important, was very difficult to access by boat, so Montevideo would act as the port. And that's why the Spanish needed Montevideo, and that's why the Portuguese wanted it. So it was a wrestle between the two, but eventually, once uh, Brazil and Argentina became independent, Uruguay became its own country. So it's small, on the Atlantic Ocean, and it's always punched above its weight. You can see that in its football team. Uruguay have won the World Cup twice, and by far the smallest country to have won the World Cup, and that's one more time than England or Spain have won it, despite its small size. And Uruguay has something called La Gara, which is a fighting spirit. So kind of um, that attitude, pr- taking great pride in their country in order to uh, achieve far more than a small country should be able to. And we see that a little bit in the wine industry, though it's heavily overshadowed by the Argentinian wine industry, which is much more internationally important. Nevertheless, there is some good wine made in Uruguay, which is well worth seeking out. Its biggest um, export market is neighbouring Brazil. About 60% of its wine is drunk in Brazil, and that's because it's very difficult to make red wine in Brazil. And Brazil like their meaty dishes, and they need red wine with them, so they buy a lot of Uruguayan wine. So like Argentina and Chile, Uruguay received a huge amount of immigration in the 19th century, and those immigrants from Europe brought grape varieties with them. And the grape variety that excelled in Uruguay was Tanat, and Tanat is the grape variety of Madiran, which is in southwest France. So like uh, Chile with its Carmenere slash Merlot, Argentina with its Malbec, Uruguay specialised in grape varieties from southwest France. The reason Tanat works in Uruguay is because it has big leaves and it has thick skins. And that's very important because Uruguay has a humid climate, very similar to Bordeaux in the amount of rain it receives and also the temperatures. The humidity would get hot, but um, cold winds come from the Antarctic. So that's balancing those conditions. So the reason Tanat works is because the thick skins protect the grapes from the humidity and the thick leaves likewise can protect the grapes from the rain. And so Tanat doesn't actually make the best wine in Uruguay, but it's by far the most planted grape variety for those historic regions. It's just easier for the growers to work with. The wines that it produces are tannic, and very easy to remember that because Tanat is tannic. Full-bodied, quite fruity, quite meaty as well. The wines of Madiran from Tanat can be quite aggressively tannic and it can take years to open up. But modern winemaking techniques, both in Madiran and Uruguay, allow the the wines to be a bit fruitier and more approachable. Winemaking in Uruguay has improved considerably in the last 20 to 30 years. There have been concerted efforts to improve growing and also winemaking to make the wine be- wines better and more approachable, and also to concentrate on Vitis vinifera, because there was, there was a lot of American vines planted in Uruguay, which obviously do not produce the same quality. And so there is a Uruguayan National Institute for Viti Viniculture, I-N-A-V-I, and they embarked on a three-pronged campaign. 
to encourage growers to plant vinifera rather than American vines and hybrids, also to urge Uruguayans to be proud of their own wines. So getting back to that point about Uruguayans being very proud of their country, well, wine should be part of that pride. And then also emphasising exports more, so with Brazil being the most important market. There are two classes of wine in Uruguay, Vino de Calidad Preferente, VCP, which counts for 10% of production, and this must be from vinifera vines, and it must be sold in 750ml or even smaller bottles. And then there's Vino Commune, VC, and these are sold in demijohns and tetrapacks, and this is mainly rosé from Muscat of Hamburg, so lower quality. Tanat accounts for 36% of all plantings of proper grape varieties, and as I mentioned, it's improved with a better understanding of the grape and its tannins. Tannins are all important. So leaving the grape as long in the vine as possible to kind of allow everything to, um, to mellow out, lowering yields as well, which will um, manage the tannins. And also cold maceration will soften the tannins. So better techniques both in the vineyard and in the winery. But as I said, tannet is arguably not the, the highest quality grape in Uruguay. That accolade goes to Merlot. And Merlot in Uruguay is absolutely fantastic. It just has the structure, the acidity, the tannins, the fruit, everything in balance with great concentration. This in the hands of the best winemakers, of course. But unfortunately, it's an uphill struggle because Merlot just isn't fashionable these days, not considered to be the quality that it actually is. And then you've got a small country like Uruguay trying to get its name on the national, international stage. Merlot's always going to be tricky. And that's why they really lead with Tanat. It's, it's Uruguay's unique selling point. Just as Argentina has Malbec, Uruguay has Tanat. A little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon as well, though it's difficult to, to reliably ripen Cabernet Sauvignon. So there's not too much planted, but it can be used in blends. Some Cabernet Franc as well, also for blending. And then with white grape varieties, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, also Viognier and Albarino have some potential in this climate as well. So most of the wine in Uruguay is concentrated around the capital city of Montevideo, all within an hour, hour's driving distance or so. So one of those cities which is just surrounded by wine regions. The most important region is Canelones, and this is 60% of production, and this is really near Montevideo. But there has, have been expansions as well, going further away from Montevideo, and go, also going north, Serra Chapeu, which is on the Brazilian border. And this region is interesting because it's more tropical climate and less of an Atlantic influence. And some producers actually have plantings on both sides of the Uruguayan and Brazilian border. So there is opportunity to diversify in Uruguay and to explore different plantings. Although it's got a, a fairly long history of wine production, quality wine is only a recent um, innovation. So it's going to be interesting to see where Uruguay goes, how it develops Tanat internationally, whether it can persuade consumers to drink other grape varieties, such as Merlot, and also the white grape varieties as well, and whether Uruguay can carve a niche for itself. Brazil, as I said, very important, and when I visited Uruguay, there were quite a lot of Brazilians visiting the wineries that they drink at home. So moving on to Brazil. So Brazil is a massive country, 200 million people, and it is the third most important wine-producing country in South America in terms of volume, but in terms of quality, much less so. There is over 90,000 hectares of plantings, but very few of these are Vitis vinifera. There are lots of table grapes, and there are also lots of hybrid grapes as well. So only 11% of plantings are vinifera. And also Brazil does not have a particularly high 
level of wine consumption, just two litres per head. So wine consumption is not integrated into the culture like it is in other South American countries. Both Uruguay and Argentina have much higher levels of wine consumption. Argentina around 30 litres per head, Uruguay even higher. So a very different drinking culture there. Uh, spirits and beer are drunk much more frequently. And of course that does not encourage the production of high quality wine if no one locally is drinking it. Vines were introduced all the way back in 1532, but it's always been a struggle. The Spanish tried to plant vines in 1626 as well. Um, immigrants from the Azores tried to establish vines, but they found it very difficult in the hot, humid climate. Isabella, well, Isabel was the first vine to be successfully cultivated, and that was in 1840, so way, way after the first plantings. Italian immigrants settled in Sierra Gaucha, which is in the Rio Grande do Sul, and they established viticulture there, but it was with the hybrid varieties such as Isabella, Concord, Catawba, and Norton. So these are varieties which uh, you'll find on the east coast of the USA, where it's also difficult to grow grapes. And so it's only in the 1970s that any quality wine began to be produced with multinational corporations investing, particularly Moet and Chandon. They, um, they've invested in Argentina, they've also invested in um, Brazil as well. Investing in modern equipment, temperature control, stainless steel, barriques, and also planting Vitis vinifera such as Chardonnay, Welsh Riesling, Semillon, Gewürztraminer, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, and trying to um, really improve the quality of wine. But it is really, really tricky. And so there's a couple of regions where um, plantings have been focused. Rio Grande do Sul, which is in the south of Brazil, and the Sierra Gaucha sub-region, which I mentioned. 38,000 hectares of plantings, that's 700 metres altitude. It's very small holdings, 2.5 hectares average. Acidic soils, which are shallow and infertile, but they re do retain water because of the clay. Very high rainfall, 1,800 millimetres a year, and 700 of those fall in the growing season, so it's tricky. And getting these grapes ripe is hard, so enrichment is almost always necessary, so adding sugar to the wine to get the uh, body and alcohol. Obviously, fungal diseases are a constant threat because of all those all that rain. 80% of those vines are American or hybrids, and usually for grape juice, table grapes, and sparkling wine. So Brazil has kind of tried to um, make an international presence for itself from sparkling wine, because the, the grapes have such high acidity and low levels of sugar. However, they're not particularly interesting. And the Brazilian sparkling wine I've tried has always been decent, but not particularly exciting. But that may be where the future of Brazilian wine has to lead, because getting the grapes fully ripe is really difficult in these humid conditions. There is some red wine made in this area as well, which is very light, and I have to say not particularly drinkable. There is a lot much better red wine out there. And then also in the south of Brazil is Campania, which is sometimes called Frontera, and that's on the border with Uruguay and Argentina. And this is a small new region, 1,300 hectares of plantings, all vinifera, so concentration on quality. It's flatter and it's less humid, and the wines are deeper in colour. Um, but there's still quite a bit of rain, 850 millimetres, so that can really ha um, hinder ripening. So still tricky, despite being flatter and less humid. And then there's one other region much further north, Val de San Francisco, San Francisco Valley. So this is very distinctive. It's arid, it's near the equator, and it's a tropical viticulture. And you can actually get more than one harvest per year because of the tropical climate. So very different Water comes from the local river, and there's just 500 hectares of vinifera from 8,000 hectares of planting. So this is the new region. See where it goes. Potential for good red wine, but let's see about that.
So that's Uruguay and Brazil. As I said, Uruguay, more interesting, more exciting, much higher levels of quality and consistency in their wines. Definitely worth checking out. Brazil's trying, but it's very difficult in the hot, humid and often tropical climate. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.